Amen. You can be seated this morning. Great to have you with us. I know many of you are taking a sigh of relief to see that other believers are here this morning. Okay, as we walked in today, as you paid attention to the news, I don't know how many probably evangelical services are beginning today going, hey, we're all still here. And uh, Mr. Camping was wrong. And the end of the world did not happen yesterday. Jesus did not come back. And so either that or we've got another issue here at Eagles U Church. Today, And if so, then we're here and we're going to go forward from this point. But, you know, it's really kind of a sad thing. I, as I think about that in my own heart, I think about Mr. Camping and think, you know, he is probably very well intentioned. He really believed that he had heard from God on this or else he probably wouldn't have broadcast this the way that he did. And I'm also saddened because... I don't know about you, but I received many comments from friends and people who weren't necessarily believers this week going, hey, uh, if by chance you're taken, can I have your car? You know, so things, things that were stated a little bit like that. And uh, I don't know about you, but it, it kind of grieves my heart a little bit because I see Christ being made fun of in that. And Paul would deal with that if he were here today. Because as we've looked at this book of Colossians, the, the truth of the matter is this. Paul was dealing with issues just like Mr. Camping, who came in and sought to say, hey, this is a vision that I've seen and I'm going to seek to impart it to everybody else. And things that weren't true, that are now not true, and now we see that the name of Christ is, in many people's eyes, a little bit lower today as a result of some of that. That grieves my heart. I know it grieves your heart. I know, you know, I laughed and snickered a little bit as I saw uh, snippets on, on the Internet and different stories as people's clothes were empty and a dog leash was next to it or something like that. I saw all kinds of things that some of you are looking at me like, I don't have any clue what you're talking about. Just, just watch the news, okay? Just, just check it out. But, but Paul dealt with this. And as we are continuing today in, in this series in Colossians, I want to kind of give a plug for something we're going to do in just a couple of weeks. We're going to pick up some speed as we have really taken our time in Colossians 1 and 2 because we want you to have the clear view of Christ that Paul wants this group of Colossian believers to see so that they aren't, as we look in our Scripture today, they aren't held captive by somebody who comes in, some charlatan, and in this case in Colossae, some group of People who came in and said, this is really who Christ is. He's not who you thought He was. This is really who He is. He was merely an illusion. He wasn't truly God. That's what they were seeking to tell this church in Colossae. And any time Paul saw that, he was very quick to swoop in, and whether by letter or in person, he would come up and he would say, no, I want to bring great clarity to who Jesus is. Because I don't want anybody to go out of here and not have a clear picture of who Christ is. And so we've taken time to go through Colossians 1 and now 2 to really give us that clear view of who Christ is. Today we're going to shift the focus a little bit and really look at what does it mean to have Christ in our life? And what does that mean for you and I today? But I want to plug something that's going to be happening a little bit later this summer, just in a couple of weeks. We're going to begin a new series called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Can I hear a whistle from the... Thank you. There we go. Thank you, Tim, for that. But we're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to look at some Old Testament kings. These are lessons from life 
from some Old Testament kings. A lot of times we don't delve into the Old Testament, but there are some incredibly rich and bizarre and interesting stories about these Old Testament kings. So we're going to be doing that in a couple of weeks. But as Paul dealt with this church in Colossae, he deals with us at EVC as well. And he says, I don't want any of you led astray. I want us to jump in this morning really quickly to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to cover the rest of chapter 2 today. But I want you to start in verse 8 and see what this says. First of all, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, by empty deceit. Now, what is Paul saying? Is he saying all philosophy is bad? I want you to know I took some great philosophy courses looking at, the, looking at the meaning of life. What is life? There can be great philosophy courses even from a Christian perspective. Paul is not saying just take all philosophy and throw it out the window. But the philosophy of these particular teachers who are coming in, it's empty, he says. He says it's empty deceit according to human tradition. When somebody comes up, and if anybody ever stands in this pulpit and says, Hey, I've got a new word from the Lord. You're not going to find it in Scripture. I've got a new word from the Lord for you. You need to take heed and go, wait a second. You see, any time Paul saw that unity of the church was being messed with, any time that he saw unpure teaching coming in, or any time he, he saw some little faction that was growing up within the church that was going against where God wanted the church to go. He was quick to deal with it. And so Paul is doing that. And I want us to be ready as members of the body of Christ to be ready to any type of false teaching that comes in that you raise your hand, that you go, wait a second, I've lined this up with Scripture and it doesn't compute. What you're saying doesn't seem to line up. I want to challenge you to always take anything we say, including what we talk about today, and I want you to go home and reread it and say, does this line up with what Scripture is saying? Paul told the Bereans to take whatever he said and to go home and to check it out with God's Word and go, does this compute? So Paul was ready to swoop in, and he did so in this. And here's what he said. He says it's not according to Christ. It's simply men's words, elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. In verse 9, for in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. What Paul is saying is this. There is no way that Jesus could be a better representation of all of God. Jesus is God. He is fully God. And all the fullness of the deity dwells with Him. So what He says to us is, don't let anybody come in and tell you that some substitutionary thing of not Christ is just as good as the real experience with Christ. Let me explain this to you. We went to a baseball game just a few weeks ago. It was Kyle and Dustin and Bart and I. And more importantly, or at least for some, I'm not going to say who, Kyle Neiman, but Dollar Dog Day, okay? It was not just the Rangers, but it was also Dollar Dog Day. It was a great day. And as we were thinking about this, we could have easily gone into the Ranger game, and the very first thing that we saw is the dude who has got his open canister of dogs, and he is selling dogs, okay? Now, Dustin immediately went first and took five, okay? 
I came back and said, okay, not going to buffet my body, so we're going to take three, okay? And it was hilarious to watch Bart and Kyle as Bart was gigging Kyle going, hey, you can take a few more. Go ahead and take a few more. Go ahead. You need five. You need five. You need to go ahead and do that. And so Kyle gets five, and Bart goes, I'll just take three. And Bart, and Kyle's like, what? Bart, yummy, your soul is selling me a bill of goods. You're pushing me out here, and then only taking three yourself. Now, see, we could have gone to the Ranger game and taken a cheap imitation of the dollar dog and watched it in the concourse on the TV, but we weren't there for dollar dog day. That was simply the taste. We were there to see the real thing, the actual rangers. And it was great for us because we had third-level seats, okay? We're cheap. That's what we were. We were taking the cheapest seats we could take. And the storm moved in, and they said, everyone has to come out of the third section, and you have to go down to the lower level. Oh, what a shame. Look, guys, there are seats on the third baseline that nobody is in, and it's underneath the canopy, so when it starts to rain. And we had the greatest experience for the first couple of innings till they called the game, but we got to watch a Grand Slam home run. It was awesome because we saw what? The real experience. We weren't tempted by the dollar dogs and the garlic fries to sit out in the concourse and watch a bad substitution on the TV, we went in and got the real thing. And the message for us today is this, is that you are full in Christ. You are complete in Christ. Do not settle for some poor substitution. We settle for all kinds of bad substitutions that are not the real thing. We think even a worship service, that that is the full experience in Christ. It's not. You see, Christ is, remember what Paul said, He is where? He is in you. You are full in Christ. I want to give you an illustration of this this morning. It sometimes is never good to mix microphones and water. But we're going to give it a shot this morning. If so, I've got a good life insurance policy and you guys take care of Jennifer and the kids, okay? That's all I'm going to say. No, I think, I think we're okay with battery power. But here's, here's the point. Well, a little wet from the first service. Okay, so as we see this, this vase is depictive of who you and I are. And the water that we have here this morning, Jesus is not a Tupperware, okay? So don't, don't take this illustration too far, okay? But as we see this, here's the experience. As we see this vase... The idea is we are full in Christ. As Jesus says to us, is there any way, when something is full, is there any way that we can get more of us or more of Christ in us than who exists right now? Can I get more water in this vase this morning? I ask you, can I? I cannot get more water in in this vase, it is impossible because it was not only full, but it was overflowing. And that's a picture that I want you to have today because some people will try to sell Christ short of the full experience. They'll say that you need to continue to add this and add this to Christ. You need to go to this experience. You need to go to this retreat. If you're really going to experience all of who Christ is, you've got to read this or memorize this. And some of those things can be great. And we're even going to talk about more of that even next week as we talk about how to live this out. But the whole process is this. When Christ came into your life, the truth of the matter is this. You are full of Christ. 
When He is in you, you can't get more of Christ in you. Here's the question today. Does Jesus Christ leak out of you? Is that what happens? Are you bad vessels so much that Jesus leaks out of you and you've got to get more of Him? You've got to go to the next level, level of experience. You've got to keep doing these things, these spiritual gymnastics, in order to get more of Jesus? That's not true. And that's what Paul is saying to these believers at Colossae. He's saying, folks at EVC, folks in Colossae, the whole issue is this. When you received Christ, you received all of Him and you were made full. And I've got to be honest. There are days that I don't necessarily feel full. There are days that I am still struggling with sin. Amen? Anybody else still continue to struggle with sin? Okay? Thank you for those two or three honest people in here. All right, let me try that again. Anybody in here still struggle with sin? Okay? Don't make me call you guys liars, okay? Don't make me do that today. But the truth is, we are full in Christ. We still have a need for love. But in Christ, we are full of God's love. God wants us to know this morning that we are full of His love. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything to get it. You receive it from Him, and you are full of it. There are days... Well, excuse me. You're full of Him. Thank you very much. Some of you need hope today. I mean, it's been a rough week. Your marriage feels like it's at its last rope. It is on its last rope. You've got a child who's away from God. You've lost a job. You're looking for a job. It's been a tough week. There are many of you here this morning, and I am one of those who we feel like we have a constant need for more hope. And what Christ's message to you is, I am in you. You can't get more of me. I reside in your life. I don't leak from you. I'm here. And I give you all the hope that you need. But I don't feel Sometimes, like I have all that hope. Some of us look for and need acceptance. And as we think about that issue of acceptance, we think we've got to prove ourselves to people. We want to be loved. We want to be liked. And we feel like we have a need for acceptance. But Jesus said, you are fully accepted in me. You cannot get more acceptance than you experience in me and in who I am. And that's what Christ wants us to know is that we have Him in all His fullness today. Now, I struggle with sin. I struggle with my anger at times. I struggle with where I put my eyes and what I see. And I am going to struggle with that. But does that mean Christ is any less in my life? And the answer is no. Remember, it is God. It is God's Son that He sees when God looks at me and not only my sin. What Jesus wants us to understand in all of this is that Christ is the standard. He does not change. He is literally the living Word. John 1.1 says that we have the written Word. He is the living Word. He is called the Logos. He is the one who is continually living and pouring out to us. Somebody from the first service talked about the fact that when I did this illustration this morning, they said, you know, when you poured the water and it overflowed, it is like that is who Christ is in us. He is overflowing to others. That when we are so full of Christ that He wells up in us, He flows out to others. And what Jesus wants us to understand this morning is that He is the standard. He is the living Word of God. Look at Hebrews 4.12 on the screen this morning. It says, For the Word of God is living and active. 
It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. So it goes into us. It divides that part of us that is soul and spirit. It even goes into our bones and it divides that. He says, and is discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jesus, the living Word of God, through His living Word, the written Word of God, Jesus wants to be alive in us today to continue to be the fullness of Christ. He wants us to take in His Word, not that we would get something extra, but that we would continue to see the mirror of Christ upon our lives. Because Jesus is the living standard. Go to 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. It says this, a very familiar passage. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is literally the breath of God. It is God living inside Scripture and being breathed out, exhaled. It's respiratory. God in and God out. As we take in God in His, in His Word and breathe Him out to other people around us. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for these four things. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is Illustration Sunday, so physical illustration. So I have in my hands what? A? Anybody know what this is? A? Yardstick. So this is a yardstick. It happens to be a yardstick from Home Depot, okay? And because that's the one I had at my house. This is a yardstick. But I want us to understand what this yardstick represents. This is a standard. So most yardsticks, they may not be exactly the same replica or representation, but this is a standard through which we measure different things. I can put it down and know that this speaker is 16 inches high. That does not change. In other words, this is a standard that we compare things to to see what is the measurement or how we're going to see these things and what size they are. Well, God's Word is a living standard. Jesus Christ lived out as we see Him lived out in the New Testament, as we see the Old Testament looking forward to who Christ is. This is the standard by which we measure our lives, and it's good for these four things. The first thing is, it is good for training. And it's good for training because training is this. It is establishing what is right and what is wrong. God's Word helps us to establish what is right and what is wrong in our lives. The standard, God's Word, and Christ, the living Word, does not change. It is not movable. It does not leak. When He tells us something that is true, it is true. It is right or it is wrong. Now, when we get into scriptural things, there are going to be interpretations. But interpretations are what? It's our view of things. And quite honestly, some of our views, like Mr. Camping's, can be wrong. But God's Word still remains true. It establishes what is teaching, what is right and what is wrong. But it doesn't just leave us there. It is important for us to understand that God's Word doesn't just tell us what's right and what's wrong. The second thing it does is it reproves us. Or what that means is simply this. It helps us to understand where we are wrong and where he is right. That's what reproof is. It helps us to understand where we are wrong and where he is right. Can you go to the next, next one, Karen? There you go, reproof. So understanding where we are wrong. So it's not enough that we just know what's right and what's wrong, but we need to know when we're wrong and when he's right. That's what reproof does. 
But Jesus doesn't leave us there either. He takes us to the next step. He doesn't want to leave us in the wrong. We would have no hope today if Jesus just said, hey, I'm right and you're wrong. You're positionally in the wrong and you can't get to what is right. No, he takes us to the next step, which is correction. Correction is identifying the path from wrong to the right. Now, you and I do this all the time if we have a GPS, okay? We put in the coordinates. We know where we are in error and how to get where we need to go. So you can look at God's Word as the GPS. It is the gospel positioning system, okay? So that's what God's Word is. He wants to correct us. He doesn't say, hey, guess what? You guys are wrong. You're out of God's will, and there's no way for you to get into God's will, so you're correct. I'm going to reprove you. I'm going to teach you. But then you're hanging out there to dry. You are, God, you are out of the kingdom. But he says, no, I want to correct you. I want to show you how to get from where you're wrong to where you're right. But he doesn't leave us there either. The last thing that he does is he trains us in righteousness. He trains us in righteousness, growing in the right, so that we do not find ourselves continually in the wrong. Okay, so here's the point of this. What God's word continues to do, what the living Christ through his word continues to do is to say, you know what? I don't want you to continually feel as if you are going against what I've called you to do and to be. So if you'll pay attention to my word, I will continually reprove you. I'll show you what's right, what's wrong. I'll teach you. I'll reprove you. I'll correct you. And then I'll help you build up those spiritual muscles so that you don't keep veering off the path. We had two of our members over the last two weeks, actually both of them are in this service and doing well, but had motorcycle accidents. I have been told, and I will not be an example of this because I don't ever plan on riding a motorcycle, but I am told that when you ride a motorcycle, wherever your eyes go is where you're going to drive. Okay, because you're on two wheels, wherever your balance goes, wherever your eyes follow, that's where you're going to drive. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is that you and I are being trained in righteousness so we don't continually find ourselves out of God's will, but we find ourselves solidly in the center of where he wants us to be. It's like the teaching teenagers. We talk about how far is too far on a date. Well, the issue is you draw the line and you stay as far away from the line as you possibly can. It's not about trying to toe the line. It's about being trained to be in the center of where God wants us to be. And that passage goes on to say, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the living word of Christ, you are full in him. Now, some of you this morning, you may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never come to the point where you've invited Him to come into your life. You don't have that personal walk with Him. In order to experience that, you must invite Him to come into your life. But once He comes in, you are full in Christ. Does that mean you'll never struggle with anything again? Does that mean that you'll not sin? No, I have struggled and I have sinned this week. I'm going to still struggle with sin, but positionally, I am in Christ, and He cannot get more of Himself in me. I am full in Him. second thing I want us to see today is this. We not only are full in Christ, but we have fellowship with Christ. You have fellowship with Him. It's not just that you are full of Him, but you are literally identified with Him. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, 
In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, Paul is identifying this and he's saying many of you have understood at other churches this was happening definitely in the church at Galatia. We're not sure that this was happening at the church at Colossae, but definitely there were Jewish believers who were saying, hey, to all these Gentiles, who, especially Gentile males who were not circumcised, you first have to be circumcised in order to be in the faith. In other words, you have to do this outward cutting of your flesh to, so that you look like everyone else. But Paul is saying, no, this is a circumcision of the heart. You don't have to mutilate your bodies. You don't have to do this in order to be right with me because you are full in Christ. Instead, he's saying it's not the outward circumcision, but it is the inward heart circumcision that you are being changed from the inside out. And he goes on. He gives us another illustration of that. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. And who raised him from the dead. You see, you and I are sharers. We are fellow partakers of the fellowship of Christ. In other words, when Christ went into the grave, you know who went in with him? You and I. When Jesus had above his head that title, King of the Jews, and the accusations that were going on when he was placed above the cross, that was your sin and my sin that was placed Above Christ. Randy Miller's sin has been posted on Christ. On His cross. I am now, I have fellowship with Christ. This is not speaking of water baptism. What it's speaking of is a spiritual baptism that we are literally identified with Christ. I tell people all the time, when we do baptism, it is a symbol of what the inward decision has been. Just like this wedding ring is a symbol, which is hard to take off because of humidity today and also swelling of my fingers, but I take it off. Am I still married? The answer is yes, I am still married, but I wear this as a symbol of my relationship with Jennifer. It symbolizes who Christ is in my life. But what he's saying is, just like I talk with people who are being baptized, when you go into the baptismal waters, be very thankful that we are symbolizing Christ's death and his resurrection. Because if not, we would go into the water and what we would do. You're buried with Christ in His death and you continue to be buried. You, I stand on you. And now, as I stand on you until the last little bubble of water comes out of your mouth, you are identified with Christ's death. Not just His death, but also His resurrection. What Paul is saying here is, you have been identified with Christ. You are, have fellowship with Him. You are a fellow partaker in His death, but also in His resurrection. We have died with Christ. So that means that we have died also. Our sin nature has died with Him. The beauty of this is seen in Romans chapter 6. It's not going to be on the screens. If you want to turn to it in your Bible, I just want to read this to you. And I want you to listen to this. A beautiful portrayal of this whole aspect that we have fellowship with Christ in His life, in His death, in His resurrection. Romans chapter 6 says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Say it's not true. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, what Paul is saying is, just because we have the fullness of Christ in us, does that mean that we should, now that we have grace over our life, we should just continue to sin? 
We should just enjoy sinning as much as we possibly can because Christ is full in us. So therefore, hey, my ticket is stamped. I'm going to heaven when I die or when He comes back for me. So since that's the case, His grace is over me. I can't get more of Christ in me. So guess what? I should just live the way that I want to. That's not what Paul is saying. He says, may it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death. When Christ died, you also died. You were there. When you accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, you went with Him to the grave. That's the reason sin has no longer any hold on us. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to zero, brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But you are no longer enslaved to sin. You're no longer shackled to Him. You're no longer shackled to the sin of your life that says you can't have victory anymore. Paul makes it very clear that those days are over. You have the opportunity to live in victory. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again, and death no longer has dominion over Him. And if it no longer has dominion over Him, what does it mean for us? If we're in Christ, that means it no longer has dominion over us. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you must also, and here's the key word in this whole sentence, in this whole paragraph, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word is huge. Some other translations say that you must reckon yourself. I like this word consider. You must identify yourself. You must see yourself identified with who Jesus Christ is. So that when you want to sin, when you're in the middle of sin, that you go, I don't have to die to this anymore. When the depression comes over you, when the opportunities to lust, when the opportunities to take money from someone else or to defraud, when those opportunities arise in you, you can say, I have died to that. I am no longer tied to that because Christ is in me and I am full of Him. Does that mean we'll never sin? No, I'm not preaching today a message that says we will never struggle with sin. But I'm saying to you, you are identified. You have fellowship with Christ. And that means you don't have to participate in that anymore. You can be free from that. Which brings us to our third thing this morning. In talking about freedom, I want us to set this up by watching this video. It was on Good Morning America this week. So bring the lights down on the stage so that folks can see this. Houston. Two burglars wrapped a 76-year-old man in a quilt and duct taped his hands and feet. Henry Smith spent two days like that, but waiting to hear how the super senior finally broke free. Ryan Owens has that story. This 76-year-old rancher is back in the saddle, back on his tractor, after an ordeal that could have killed a man half his age. Police say these two suspects broke into Henry Smith's house used duct tape to bind his hands and feet, then wrapped his body in a blanket. 
Police say the duo proceeded to ransack the house for hours before leaving with their loot. And he wasn't ready to give up by a bunch of young uh, thugs coming, taking his property and just leaving him for dead. So Schmidt rolled himself into the kitchen, where the next morning the two intruders found him. They ended up dragging the man back into his bedroom. This time when they left, a dehydrated and starving Schmidt managed to crawl back into the kitchen, somehow opened the door of the refrigerator, and knocked grapes onto the floor. For nearly two days, that's all he had to eat. The grapes gave him enough strength to slide open a back door and roll himself down this impossibly long driveway, where passerbys finally spotted him. Now, we didn't think this for assault. And his duct tape took Carver's back up, and there he was. This morning, these two are behind bars, while the spry senior they left for dead is waking up at home very much alive. For Good Morning America, Ryan Owens, ABC News, Houston. Now that guy was from what state? Texas. That's right. He was Texas tough. You do not mess with a 76-year-old rancher, okay? If you're in this state, you know, go, go to some other weak state, but you don't mess with a guy from Texas. This guy was Texas tough. Can you believe that story? 76 years old, hands tied with duct tape, blanket over him, rolls into the kitchen. They drag him back to his bedroom. He rolls in again, grabs some grapes. What an incredible story. Rolls 50 yards down an embankment of his driveway. This guy is unbelievable. But he was held captive. I love what it said. He was not willing to let these thugs, these two young punks, you know, you just kind of hear uh, the, the, the language coming out of this guy he was not going to stay there and let these punks have victory over him. They held him captive for a while, but he was freed. And the question I have for you and I this morning is this. You have freedom in Christ. What is it in your life that holds you captive? What kind of things, what particular pet sin, what issues in your life have duct taped you and rolled you up in a blanket and said, there, just die. You're not worthy of who Christ is. You can't, you can't get up and go to church with those people there today because those people are holy there at EVC. You can't show up there today. You can't go and learn and understand that you're full in Christ because I want to hold you captive. That's what the enemy continually wants to say to you and to me. He wants to say to us, you don't have freedom in Christ. You're held captive by all the things in your life that make you unworthy. And Paul comes back and he talks about two specific things that we are free from in verses 13 through 23. He says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses, okay? We were dead in our sins, our trespasses. We have wandered off the mark. We have gotten away from God's standard. We've wandered off. And he says, And the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all of us, or forgiving us all, our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is legal language that He's using. He's saying someone has brought a charge up against you. And Jesus Christ, the greatest defense attorney, the advocate, as John, 1 John chapter 2 talks about, 
He goes in and He takes the record of your sin and my sin. And He takes it. And again, He nails it onto His own cross. And He says, I have paid. I have reconciled this debt that they have against a holy God. And I take it upon Myself. And I give them, instead of trespasses and being locked according to their sin, they now have freedom. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. I kids, I read that. And I'm not trying to, in some political and geopolitical world that we live in, but as I read that, I could not help but think of those Navy SEALs going in on Osama bin Laden. I'm not trying to picture him as the picture of evil, but I'm just saying... He is disarmed. He is awakened. Satan himself, when Jesus went to the cross and when we received Him and we became full of Him, He said He broke the chains. And you no longer have to be bound by your own sin. You no longer have to be bound by someone like Satan who says to us that we're not worthy. For some of us, we have mother or father, what I call mother or father wounds that Maybe we didn't get the kind of love that we thought we deserved as kids. And therefore, we have portrayed Christ, portrayed God's relationship with us as that human mother and father. And we've always seen God like we viewed our own parents. Maybe as someone angry, someone that we always had to go to, someone that we could never quite feel their acceptance. I don't know what your thoughts are, but what I know is this, that Satan's attack on you. And what Paul says here is he disarmed. He took away their weapons, the rulers and authorities, who seek to keep you bound. I don't know about you, but maybe uh, for some of you, you had internships when you grew up, uh, as internships in your jobs. I had an internship in in ministry. I was a, a student ministry intern. And student ministry interns at the church where I was an intern, you were the lowest bottom level. Anyone who volunteered, you were way below them, okay? We actually were asked it a couple of different times, kind of jokingly, sometimes I wonder if it were true, to uh, actually go and start the cars of the other pastors so that they could get cool before they go to lunch, okay? Things like that. Just kind of going, really? Are you really going to make us do that? We would paint the bus barn when nobody else wanted to paint the bus barn. Those are the kind of tasks. I also was the, the new guy on the... Um, the restocking crew at a grocery store, and I happened to have the salad dressing aisle, okay? Anybody ever have the salad dressing aisle? As a re- did, did, I'm just asking, did someone else tell you, like they told me, you have to go and shake up the Italian dressings every morning when you get here because then they settle down. So if people are going to buy them, you have to shake them up, okay? Those kind of intern type of things that people make us do, the low-level task. And what Jesus is saying in this is you don't have any more low-level tasks. Whatever authority in your life that seeks to do things to you to make you feel like you're nothing, I have disarmed. I've taken their weapons away. And now you can experience freedom. He not only did this for Satan's attack and the authorities in our life, but he also comes back and he concludes this chapter by talking about how these individuals who had come to this church of Colossae were also adding elements to the faith. They were saying, you know, it's not enough that you just receive Christ. You also have to do this. For some of you, you have to be circumcised. For others of you, you should go, as we put it in today's language, you have to go on this particular retreat. 
If you want to experience God in all His fullness, you have to go do this. You have to add this. You have to be at church every time the doors are open. If you're going to really get the full experience in Christ, these things are not opportunities for us to gain more of Christ, but they are opportunities for us to have fellowship with Him and fellowship with His body. As I mentioned, as this passage is going to talk about, even fasting... If you'll remember last week, I talked about fasting as a spiritual discipline. But here's what it is not. It is not an opportunity for us to put 50 cents into the Coke machine of God by fasting. God, I'm going to fast for a day. I'm going to fast for two days so that you will give me more stuff. It's not a drink dispenser. Fasting is rather an opportunity for us to take time and to give our time back to God so that we focus more on Him. But if you think that you're going to get more of Christ by doing something external, then Paul would say he would lump you right in with these guys. Verses 16, it says this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. In other words, all these externals, some of these were Gentile externals like Things like the Sabbath, or the Sabbath and these new moon festivals. These were things that were going on in the Colossian culture. That they were saying, you have to do this. And you have to do what all the Jews are doing. And then you have to do what all the Christians are doing. And what all the Colossian Gentiles are doing. And they rolled all this stuff up and said, this is what spirituality looks like. And people are still doing that today. Isn't that what Mr. Camping did? Didn't he say... Hey, I've seen a vision. I've seen something that the rest of you have not seen. And so now I'm going to partake. I'm going to tell you what that is. And I'm going to try to lump you in with me. He says, let no one disqualify you. Verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Jesus Christ is the issue. He is the one thing that you need to be looking at. You're not to be looking at all these externals and these visions and these other things. Let no one disqualify you assisting, insisting on asceticism. Asceticism would be things like fasting, things like cutting yourself, things like, like opportunities that you would do something external to your body to try to think that you were going to get something spiritual out of it. He says, going into detail about the worship of angels and visions. You see, that's what Mr. Camping did. He said, I've had a vision. I've seen something that the regular people have not seen. Does that mean that God won't give us visions? No, He might. But His vision that He gives you will line up with Scripture. If it doesn't, I don't believe it's a true vision. If it doesn't line up with God's Word and what it says, then I would say run like a scalded dog, as my parents would say. Run away from it because it's not true. If it doesn't line up with God's Word, if it doesn't help you see the standard, if it doesn't show you the standard of who Christ is, then it's not a proper vision. What does he say about those things? They simply leave us puffed up, prideful in what we've seen that somebody else. I have a new truth that you guys don't have. Beware of the external, extra experiences. He says, "Not these things are not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, that's who we are, we are nourished, We get our nourishment from the Lord and we are knit together as the joints and ligaments. We grow with this growth that is from God. And then he finishes. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? Why? 
as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations that say, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. All these external things that people want to throw on us have no value in helping us live this life out in Christ. Because the truth is, you are full already in Him. Let no mistake abound in this place to say that you can get more of Christ because when Christ is in you, you are full in Him. But you need to recognize it. You need to see that Christ is full in you. And as next week we're going to talk about, chapter 3 is one of my favorite passages as we talk about what it means. How do we live when we're still struggling with sin? How do we live this out? We're going to talk about that next week. But he says, you have fellowship with Christ and you have freedom in Him. Do not let anyone take you captive again. You have freedom in Christ. Would you bow with me this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I just want to encourage you to, to look over your life. I'm sure in your life you can look back and see, and even as I admit, there have been times where as I read this this past week, I thought about the fact that, you know what, I, I may have been guilty of this before. Of telling something, they needed to do something extra. They needed to do something more. When really, once they accepted Christ, they had the fullness of who He is. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Christ into your life, there is no greater thing that I could want for you than for you to experience Jesus in all His fullness. You could be just like this vase and be full of Him just by inviting Him to come into your life. There's no special prayer. There's simply an admitting that you can't make this on your own. But you may pray something that might go something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I cannot earn you. But I invite you to come into my life right now. I want a relationship with you. I want to be full of you today. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Others of you this morning, I know, just like myself, you struggle with your own sin with the messages of others that go in your mind every day that you're unworthy. You have freedom today. The chains are gone. The duct tape is off. You've rolled down the driveway. And Christ has found you. He says you're free. Live like you're free. Father, I thank you today for your people. I thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. I thank you that you have shown us in your word that we are full in you. God, my words are inadequate to express that. The illustrations are inadequate to express that. But God, I stand in front of a people and I am a person who gets bound up by a lot of things. Jesus, I pray that you would release us, that we would see ourselves 
free in you today. Lord, as we transition and take up our offering to you today, God, may you be glorified in us. May we be strengthened in you to live out this life you've given us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. As our ushers begin to take up our offering this morning, I want to encourage you just to uh, be faithful as we go into the summer.